for the Lord to lead me to make this decision. Thank you all. Hi, everyone. All right, so that was Laura and Aaron. Uh, they are together in Yangzhou, China, as I said. And so Laura was to, she wanted to just express some thanks uh, for our prayers for her. Uh, we've been praying for her for a while uh, in her situation. Uh, she was in uh, an abusive situation with her husband. And so um, it, it was very difficult for her to make certain decisions as far as her and her son. And so we were just praying uh, that God would lead, guide, open up opportunity, maybe change the way she was seeing things and perceiving things. Um, the stories that I've heard since uh, just are horrific in some ways. And so I'm just really thankful that she's safe. She's with her sister. And we just continue to pray for Laura. And uh, we'll continue to pray for her son. And continue to pray that uh, as she moves ahead with her new decisions and in, in a safer place, and God will bless that, God will bless her, and release her into even more of what he's called her to. Uh, I had given her a word uh, a few years ago when I was there, and the word, I gave her this word, I said, why, I forget the exact word, but basically it was like, why are you still there? And that was before I knew really the details of what was going on. I just felt like that was something God wanted me to ask her, and she was just kind of horrified by that, that I would even say that, uh, but it was not really something that I was thinking or anything else. It was just something I believe the Lord was trying to begin to open a door of, you don't have to live this way, and uh, his concern for her and for her son. So uh, thankful that he's leading her, guiding her. She has a safe place to stay. Her son has a safe place to stay. And uh, as I said, we'll just continue praying for her and continue praying for her family. All right. So thank you, Laura, for sending that. Uh, if anybody else would like to uh, send us a speak pipe, uh, you go to www.speakpipe.com. There's a slash there. And all one word, Monday Night Bible Study. It'll lead you to a button that you can toggle. And it's like leaving a voicemail. Just leave a message, and we'd just love to hear from you. It could be where you're from. It could be uh, just a hello. It could be something good that God's done, whatever it is. Uh, we'd just love to hear from you. Uh, we have uh, several hundred uh, separate listeners every month uh, from all over the world that listen to the podcast. And so if you're one of those, we would really love to hear from you and love to hear what's going on in your life and where you're from. So... Drop us a line, speakpipe.com. In your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 24, I need a volunteer to read verses 16, 17, and 18.
Okay, good. So as you read that passage, uh, what, what's happening in that passage is kind of a strange little passage there. It's God speaking to Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel's a prophet, so he was used to God speaking to him. He is somebody that God had open dialogue with, and he also moved in visions. And so as you read through that and you kind of listen to what God's saying to him, there's some strange things going on. There's something strange about to happen, something unusual, interesting, something affecting that's about to take place. And God is preparing Ezekiel for what was about to happen. Because it was something that we would look at and say, this is a tragic thing. And what he was preparing Ezekiel for was the death of his wife. He speaks to him in just a direct word. He says, your wife is going to die. And I know the language that's used there, depending on what version you're reading, it may not directly say that, but he's basically saying that your wife is going to die and this is what's going to happen. And then he gives him instructions. He says, after your wife dies, you can't, don't mourn. There will be no overt mourning. There will be no overt crying. There will be no overt anything that would call attention to the fact that your wife died. So I'm giving you warning. I'm letting you know this is about to happen. And when it does, this is my direct command to you. And that is you're going to go about your business without any of the other outward trappings of a person in mourning. That's what's going to happen. And so that's what he leaves him with. And so that's unusual. Uh, that's not something that uh, anyone would expect to hear. That's not somebody that anybody would be looking for. And even the direct command that he gives them is unusual because they were in a culture that mourns. You know, just like our culture mourns. They had certain rituals by which they would mourn. They had certain things by which they would go about grieving. It cultural norms, things that were expected, things that people do, just like we have things that are cultural norms, things that people expect and things that people do. And so by God speaking this, there was a, a revelation that came, and he also spoke a, a real word of direction for him, a real word of command over his life, which was really unusual because it was so far against the norm that without just just a an obedience and, and someone that had committed his life to obedience, it would have never made any sense. Now, if you've been around long enough, you understand and you know that I really believe that you don't need to understand God's command to obey it. I don't believe that. And you can look through the scriptures and you can see that. I used to preach a sermon uh, when I was traveling. And this sermon was so weird, people had such a hard time with it. And it was this, it was that uh, Jeremiah was called at one point, and God said to him, he's like, go out and buy a linen belt. And so Jeremiah went out and bought a linen belt, and he's like, all right, so I want you to take that linen belt, I want you to take a journey out into the wilderness, take that nice linen belt, and I want you to bury it in the rocks. And so he had him bury it in the rocks. Now, here's what I want you to think about for a second. How weird is that? Spend your good money on a linen belt, but what you're going to do, you're not going to wear it. It's a nice belt, but don't wear it. I want you to go a couple days' journey out into the wilderness, and I want you to bury it in a hole in the rocks. That's weird. That's weird. He had, 
And, and he had no idea why. He didn't know why God was telling him that. He didn't know why God told him to buy the belt in the first place. And he really didn't know why God told him to go a couple days out in the wilderness. And he still didn't know the reason why he had him bury it in the rocks. But all of that was just abject obedience. It was an obedience on Jeremiah's part to hear what God was saying and to just go about doing it. And later on, it was a while later, God reminded him, hey, you remember that belt you buried out in the rocks? Go on out and get it now. So you got another couple days out. Going to dig it up. Why? Don't know. Digs it up. Brings it back. And then... At the end of that whole long sequence of, I have no idea why I'm doing this. Follow me? No clue. I have no idea why I'm doing this. But the long sequence of, I have no idea what I'm, why I'm doing this, that's when God says, this is the message that I have. And he gave him a prophecy based on the belt. But why? Didn't know until the end. So there, was, there were so many points in that story so many times that Jeremiah could have just said no. So many times Jeremiah could have just said, this is silly. So many times Jeremiah could have just refused to go about and do whatever is God, you got to tell me what this is for, I'm not going to go any further. He could have said that a bunch of different times. He didn't say it one time. And God gave him a good word for the people when it was done. But he had to get to that point. He didn't get to that point until he obeyed. He didn't get to that point until he just did what he was told. He didn't get to that point until he had to move through these series of things that he didn't understand in order to get there. And that's the way it works sometimes. You know, it would be nice if God just gift-wrapped everything and told us how it was going to end up at the end, but He doesn't do it that way. Sometimes we don't get that kind of a understanding sometimes we don't get that depth of understanding that, that we're going to know what's going to happen before it happens we don't understand the why sometimes because it, it's not for us to understand and so we just go about what he tells us to do and we go about what he calls us to do and we go about the work that we have in front of us that's it so ezekiel here he is he's a prophet He's used to hearing God. God speaks over him. And he usually starts off the whole thing. He says, behold. And that word, I just stop at the first word because it sets a tone for what comes after it. He says, behold, Ezekiel. And what that word means is to consider what I say and do right now. I want you to consider what I say and do right now. I want to raise Ezekiel's but also the reader of this, like us. Us. I want to raise your attention to this. That's what I want to do. I want you to understand it. I want you to see this. And and it's so funny because in every version of the the uh, of commentary as they comment on the Bible. Even the commentators want to explain to you why this is happening before it happens. But Ezekiel didn't have that privilege. You read that passage in Jeremiah, they want to explain to you the end of the story. Well, he didn't have the end of the story. That's like when, when Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, you remember that? He's with the disciples and he's going around 
and he sees a fig tree and it's all in, in, in full leaf and it's supposed to have figs on it when it looks like that. But he goes up to it and it doesn't have any figs on it. And so he curses the tree. And they all go away and they come back the next day, the tree's dead. Now, you try to read something on that. You try to read a commentary on that by anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. They're going to try to explain to you why he did that. Well, let me save you some reading. You know why he did it? Because it didn't have any figs on it. And he was upset it didn't have any figs on it. He cursed the tree and it died. Because they want you to think, well, what the fig tree represents is the nation of Israel. And it's not bearing the fruit that it appears that it should bear. And so Jesus is expressing His disappointment in the fact that the, the fruit and the tree of Israel is not bearing... No. There is nothing in that about that. That's people making stuff up. Right? What actually happened was He cursed that tree because it didn't have any fruit on it. And he wanted fruit. And so the disciples, they all looked at him and they asked the question. Here's the question. What happened? What just happened? Why? Did, what? What's up with this? Good question. You know what Jesus' answer was? If you have faith, you can do the same thing. That was his answer. And, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is that sometimes it's just, that simple. That we don't have to make something up. We don't have to explain something away. And I know what I just said upset some of you. Good. Good. Be upset. Be upset. I want you upset. Because somebody needs to tip over that stupid apple cart that you got in your brain about how things are supposed to work. Well, I for one, and I'll tell you this right now, I for one don't like getting judged. In fact, I don't like it at all. And it's time to stop. But it's been my experience, anybody that will judge Jesus for cursing a fig tree is going to judge me for something worse. Okay? I know it. I know it. So, let's get that out of the way to start with, alright? Let's get that out of the way. It used to be one of the first things I'd teach when I was bringing together missions teams from all over the place. Because we've got people come from different backgrounds. People coming, some were raised in the church, some weren't. Some were coming from uh, some spirit-filled background, some weren't. All these other things. One of the first things that I would do is that teaching on Jesus and the fig tree. Like, let's just get things straight right from the start. Right from the start. And I, you know, make that statement. If you're willing to judge Jesus, over cursing a fig tree, you're going to judge all of us before we get out of here. And you need to change your attitude and change your mind right now before we move any further. Because you're about to spend two or three weeks with a group of people and you're together 24 hours a day. Yeah. You're going to see things you don't want to see. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. Somebody's going to say something you didn't expect. You're going to see somebody in their underwear. You didn't think you were going to, but you did. And somehow, some way, we're going to have to work together to see the kingdom of God advance. And if we're stuck on 
I'm in my underwear. We ain't going nowhere. Nowhere. We're stuck on, oh, I don't like the way you talk. We ain't going nowhere. Nope. We're stuck on anything like that. We're going zero, nowhere. So Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, you need to consider what I say and do here. Because it's important. And, and he's raising our attention to this. He wants us to see this. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to, to, to look at this and begin to integrate this into our life because it's going to be something weird. It's going to be something strange. It's going to be something unusual. This is going to be something interesting that's about to happen. But the most important part of it is something that is affecting. It's something that's going to change something. That's the important part. And that's what God was doing. He was about to change something. He was about to change Ezekiel. He was about to change the people around Ezekiel. He was about to change the people that Ezekiel was prophesying to. He was about to advance the kingdom of God through this. So behold, He says, I am going to take your wife. That's what God says to him. And he describes her. He just say, and, and, and really, he describes her as the one that Ezekiel delights in. So the object of his love and affection, that's who, that's who his wife was. And that's the way she's described. And so this isn't somebody that Ezekiel didn't care about. It's someone that he had love and affection for. This wasn't somebody Ezekiel didn't mind that God was going to take. He did mind. He did care. This was, this was the, the apple of his eye. This was the object of his affection. This was the object of his love. He was delighting in her. And so she's precious to him. And so when God speaks to him, and he's like, I'm going to take her. In other words, she's going to die. Make no mistake, Ezekiel understood that's what God was saying. That she is going to die. In fact, she's going to die tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. And so he speaks, God speaks to Ezekiel that night. He's like, well, your wife, I'm going to take her tomorrow. She's going to die tomorrow. That's what's going to happen. And what's going to happen, the way she's going to die is that God's going to take her suddenly. This is described there. Some of your Bible says that he took her with a stroke. I'll let you on it. That's not a medical term. It is for us, but it's not a medical term here. What it is, is that he took her quickly. Like a stroke, that's the quick mark. You understand what I'm saying? Done. So he took her quickly. And he was just telling Ezekiel, I'm going to take her quickly. She's going to, it's going to be soon. And it ends up being the next day that he takes her. And so the object of his love and affection, the one he takes delight in, his God, who he loves, and who loves him, lets him know a day ahead of time, I'm going to take your loved one tomorrow. And so Ezekiel goes out the next day and he tells people what's about to happen. He, he delivers the word of the Lord to them. That was the word of the Lord. He says to him, he's saying, yeah, God came to me 
And this is what he spoke to me. He spoke this word about my wife, about the one who I delight in, the one I love, the one that I care about, the object of my love and affection. He says he's going to take her. And so he delivers the word of the Lord to the people that they gather to hear him every day, hear what he had to say. And I could only imagine how weird that was, right? I mean, just think about that for a second. If you heard somebody say something like that, that would be really weird. Kind of freaked out, like like the disciples were freaked out when Jesus cursed the fig tree. Yeah, I mean, you can read it for yourself. It doesn't say freaked out, quote-unquote, but you, you kind of look at the way they were asking questions afterwards. They were a little freaked out over that. They were. And you might look at Jeremiah and how weird that guy was. I mean, prophesying in your underwear for a while? Sure. Sure. Kind of weird. And here you have Ezekiel. So he tells them what's going to happen. But the thing is, and, and God did take her that evening after he prophesied this. But God gave him some words of instruction. And this is what I want you to hear in these words of instruction. He says, um, you're not going to publicly mourn for this, for your wife. How hard is that? I mean, we like to think of our emotions as being greater than what? For some people, they like to think of their emotions as being greater than everything. But they're not. People treat their emotions like, well, I can't help it. Well, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. And and the fact of the matter is, is that God gave Ezekiel instructions about this, that you will only have a private grief. There'll be no outward signs. What do you mean by that? Well, he lists them off. He's like, I don't want any sad songs. I don't want any tears. I want you to dress normally. I don't want you to go barefoot, because that was common back then. If you lost somebody and you were grieving, you go barefoot. He's like, I want you to go barefoot. I want you to keep your normal hygiene routine. You know what that means, right? Deodorant, washing, stuff like that, whatever that normal hygiene was. So, And included in that, he didn't want him shaving his head because that was common in their form of grief, in their form of grieving, that if you lost somebody, you might shave your head. Don't want to do that. And then he tells him this, is I want you to eat normally. Same way you eat. So he gives him all these specific instructions, like this is how you're not going to show this outwardly. He's like, you're not going to do any of these things. And so there'd be no mourning feast. There'd be no feast or funeral feast or anything like that. It's like, you're just going to eat normally. You're going to do whatever it is you're going to do. And it's interesting here because as he's prophesying to these people, you look at that and you're like, well, why is he saying that? Well, we know why he's saying that. All right? I don't know that Ezekiel immediately understands it. I don't know that Ezekiel had any understanding of it. He may have, he may not have. But the word of the Lord to him was just, you need to obey this. You need to just do it. And it's interesting to me that this passage of Scripture teaches us, and there's plenty of other passages of Scripture that teach us, that we are not to be ruled by our emotions. And I hope you can kind of grab hold of that. That we're not to be ruled by our emotions. What emotions? Any. Any. 
Because emotions come and go. Emotions are reactions. Emotions are, are powerful, and I know they're powerful. But you don't have to be ruled by them. It's like you don't have to be ruled by fear. You don't have to be ruled by the emotions that come into your heart, into your mind. You don't have to be ruled by those. You can make better decisions than that. You think about all the bad decisions that are made when people decide they're in love. You ever think about that? I'm in love. Yeah, what, you shut your brain off? You don't have to. What, you shut off your, your what you hear from God? You don't have to. You're shutting off your, your communication with the Almighty? Like maybe He's got something to say about this? Like He's got some direction about this? He maybe has a word for you? Yeah, you got that shut off? Why? Because you're in love? But a lot of people do. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just saying that, that we almost accept that or something. You know, I was talking to somebody not too many days ago. And as we were talking, I mentioned somebody that we, we commonly know, both of us knew. And I'm like, oh, have you talked to her lately? And this woman looked at me, she's like, oh, no, it's been a little while. But she's in a relationship now. Like, I'm supposed to understand that. Like, like oh, so she has a boyfriend, so therefore she could just be rude to you. Is that what you're telling me? That's acceptable? She's in love, so she has no other friends? She's in love, so she just cuts off everybody else that's in her life? That's how that works? Really? Apparently. It seemed perfectly accepted in that context that that was the way it goes. Well, I want to encourage you that it doesn't have to go that way. That... Because you're in a relationship with somebody doesn't mean you have to cut off your relationship with God, your relationship with your friends, and your relationship with the people around you. You don't have to do it. You don't. You don't have to do that. In fact, you shouldn't do that. And and as long as I've lived, things have just gotten weirder. And I'm telling you, weirder over time. See, back when, when I was in the dating pool, and that was a long time ago, I was usually in the shallow end, but I was in the dating pool. And as I was in the dating pool, here's how it worked. Hey, Susie. Is there a Susie in here? Good. Hey, Susie. You want to go to the movies Friday night? Sure, Andy. All right. I'll pick you up at 6.30. Is that all right? Yeah. See you then. All right. So I take Susie to the movies on Saturday night or Friday night at it's 6.30, we go see the 7 o'clock show. All right. But it might be that on Saturday, Susie might have a dinner date with Bobby. Okay? And, and you know what? That's none of my business. I don't care. Because I, I got my date on Friday to go to the movies, and so Bobby's going to take her out on Saturday to go out to dinner. Because that's just kind of how you did things. And then there may have come a time at some point where maybe I was getting a little more serious with Susie and we may discuss, all right, well, do you want to go steady? I mean, meaning exclusive, like we'll just go out and stuff. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, so that's kind of how it works. And I know, I know I'm talking gibberish right now, 
but that's kind of how it worked. It wasn't like I went on a date with somebody and we were attached at the hip for the rest of time. It wasn't like I went on a date with somebody and we were like pseudo, ultra, almost pre-engaged from that moment, whatever pre-engagement is. I don't even know what it is. That's weird. All that's weird. And I'm sorry it's weird, but it's weird. You know, people don't have to be attached like that at first. It's kind of why you date. You kind of go out with people. You see if you like them. You don't like them. See how it goes. And if something clicks and everything seems like it's going in the right direction, then you spend more time together. And you move forward from there. And that's just how it went. We didn't, we didn't have to be consumed with one another or in any one relationship. Our emotions do not have to rule us. Our fears do not have to rule us. Our need to be accepted and loved does not have to rule us. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it seems like that those things just rule us. But if we're going to be open and ready to receive what God has, able even to receive what God has for us in our lives, then we can't be ruled by our emotions. We just can't. Now, do I completely understand what God is saying to Ezekiel? I understand the direction. I understand the call to obedience. I understand the words that he says. But I don't completely understand the why. But like I said from the very start of this teaching, sometimes we don't. And I doubt Ezekiel fully understood the why. I'm sure he understood it a little bit. And I'll give you a little bit of insight as to what he probably understood about it. And it's not enough to justify not mourning for your wife, okay? Nothing I'm about to say is enough to justify that. He just did that out of sheer obedience to what what God told him. Just obedience. But he was prophesying to a people that were numb. That they had been through a bunch of stuff. They had turned their backs on God. They had worshipped idols. And now they were facing the consequences of that. Some of them had not only become numb, they'd become hardened to what God was saying and what God was doing. And it was almost like they were in some kind of a, like a stupefaction when God spoke. When God directed, when God gave some kind of command, they were just stupefied. And they didn't respond, they weren't responding. It was just, they were there. And it wasn't like God wasn't speaking because He was. It wasn't like God wasn't showing them this is the future and this is what's going to happen because He was. It wasn't like they hadn't seen what they'd already lost because they did. All of those things already happened. And and so they had suffered loss. 
They were here. They were seeing what God and what was happening around them at the time, and God was speaking to them about the future. So all those things were right in front of them, but they didn't really respond. They were just stupefied at it. And so Ezekiel was right in the middle of all that because he was the prophet. He's the one prophesying. He's the one speaking into that. And, and you got to wonder sometimes, and, and anybody that teaches, anybody that prophesies, anybody that has anything to do with people, every now and then you ask yourself a question, is anybody listening? Yeah. And it's not, the, it's not a mean question. It's just like, does anybody get what I'm saying? And every now and then I'll ask you, but I don't believe you when you answer me anyway. I'm like, you guys with me? You're like, yeah. I'm like, I don't believe you. All right, but that's okay. At least you responded. Now completely comatose. Good. So, but anybody that has anything to do with this, you reach those points sometimes in your life where you just don't even know. I used to preach in churches, and some of these churches were so dead. I mean, seriously. I mean, it seemed like they, you know, it was almost like, and I can imagine this, they just wheeled everybody in, plopped them into the pew, all right? They sat there for the prescribed hour and a half, because that's how long the service was. No longer, no shorter. And they would sit there for that hour and a half. Someone would prop them up when it was time to stand, and someone would sit them down when it was time to sit. But after an hour and a half, they'd bring in the wheels again and wheel them out. And that was about the kind of response sometimes you get. They're stupefied. Whatever. And so out of the 330 churches I preached in over a 10-year period or more, whatever it was, I was in some churches like that, just honestly. And, and I would lead those services sometimes wondering, was anybody listening? Anybody Anybody listening? Anybody? And you know what's funny about that? Is God was so faithful with it that those would be the places I get a letter a few weeks later. Those would be the places where God healed me, whoever it was, of cancer. And those would be the places where, oh, God filled me with the Holy Spirit that day when I didn't think anything happened. And I mean nothing. But those would be the places. Yeah. I was uh, speaking at West Point one time at the military academy. I used to run a, a student organization there, which would be a cadet organization there, whatever you want to call it. And there was one night that we had a joint meeting they called me in, and I did this joint meeting with all the Christian groups. And I knew they were all the Christian groups, because that's what they advertised it as. And So we're in a big lecture hall where the seats go up. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm on the floor. And so I, I just spent the whole time, went through the scriptures, gave opportunity for people to respond uh, and uh, they specifically wanted me to speak on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, so I did. And uh, and so we prayed over people, and there were all kinds of people there. There were Baptists, Methodists, Episcopalians. I mean, it was every Christian group. 
And so they came from all different backgrounds, and I was using the teaching of a, an Episcopalian priest to teach it. And so I kept referring back to that, this, that, and other thing. At the end, prayed over everybody. People started, uh, you know, praying out in tongues, or and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All these good things were happening. And then I said, all right, now I need to do one more thing, and I need to give opportunity for somebody to get saved. Now I'm speaking to all the Christian groups, right? You follow that? Yeah. So I'm speaking to all the Christian groups. So who needs to get saved at a Christian group meeting? Nobody. Uh-huh. Well, I, so, I, so I, I, gave the, you know, I gave the message. that It was real quick. I just gave the message. I said, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. This is how he wants to do it. This is what we're going to do. What I want you to do, I'm going to pray. And uh, when we're done praying, I'm going to ask if anybody prayed with me. So um, let's pray. And so I prayed. And at the end, I'm like, anybody pray with me? I'm looking around the room. Nobody raised their hand. Like, you don't have to be shy, man. I, if you prayed with me. Let me know, because I, I felt really led to do this, and I'm kind of curious what is up. So if you pray with me, let me know. Nobody raised their hand. I'm like, all right, whatever. So got done with the meeting. I'm walking outside. There's a guy standing out in the hallway. He's the janitor. He was waiting out there for us to get done because he had to clean the lecture hall. And he said, hey, are you the guy that was talking? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I prayed with you. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And that's why obedience is important. Can you follow that? Just like that little story? That's a little story, but that's why obedience is important. It's important because we don't know. It's like what I was talking about on Sunday. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. And Ezekiel, you know, he, he's obeying here, and, and he's, he's suffering loss. I mean, this is the story is kind of heartbreaking to me because I put myself in this position, and I looked at that, and if God came to me, and He's like, "Oh, your wife's going to die. I'm going to take your wife tomorrow." That's heartbreaking to me. He said, "But this is what you have to do," and he was obedient to that. Do you know why? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Because he, he was preaching to a people that were in a, in a, in in a state of stupefaction. They were they were, they were their, their city, their nation fallen. They they were they were losing everything, but they just didn't care. Wouldn't change. Couldn't hear it. So here's a man who loses the apple of his eye. He doesn't even mourn. Not because he doesn't want to mourn, but because he, he's making a statement. Like These are all the normal responses to someone dying that you love, but you can't do those things. <clears throat> what are all the normal responses when your, your nation and, and your city have fallen? They weren't doing those things either. And so the bottom line to all of this is obedience. And you look at Ezekiel's energy, his subordination, it's his whole life. His all of his energy, all of his life, everything are given over to the prophetic office. 
that he, that he occupied. That's who he was. And it's striking that that was everything of his. Everything that mattered to him, everything that had any meaning in his life, everything that would have any meaning in his life, everything that had any value to him, were given over to this office. And it's a striking thing. Because all of that's being displayed in this narrative of what does it mean for Ezekiel to serve God? Well, it means everything. What is his obedience? How far will it go? The whole way. What more can he give? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I would imagine even some of you that have read the whole Bible probably skipped this story or ignored it because it's a little bit disturbing. Well, life is a little bit disturbing, I think, because if it was all the way we think it's supposed to be, it'd be great, but it's not. And so we run into things in our lives that are going to call into question what it is God's called you to. All right? You're running into things in your life. So how strong is that in your life? I don't know. guess we're going to find out. How strong is it in your life what God has called you to? How strong is it in your life what God has spoken to you? How strongly is it? How strong is it in your life the prophetic call and the prophetic word through your life? How strong is that? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. How strong was it for Ezekiel? It was this strong. This strong. And here's a guy that had revelation, not only for his people, not only for the people of that day, but he had revelation of all eternity. He had revelation of what was happening in heaven. He had revelation of what was to come. He had a very deep revelation about the gospel, about God putting hearts of flesh and replacing hearts of stone with hearts of flesh in people. All right, that's a deep revelation. And you read that portion of his prophecy and you begin to understand this guy saw what Jesus was going to do. Everything. Everything. The valley of dry bones and how it was that, that blowing of the wind of the Holy Spirit. You don't think he saw the day of Pentecost? He saw it. You don't think he saw the birth of the church? He saw it. The hundreds of years that he lived before any of that happened, he could see it. Well, he sold out. Now, people say, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna have that kind of revelation of God. Do you? Really? Hmm. I mean, I hope you do. But those kind of revelation, that kind of revelation comes to people who sell out. That kind of revelation comes to people who, that's, all right, well, this is it. That's all I got. You got it. You got it. And maybe that's why it's so e much easier for a poor man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a rich man. Maybe. Maybe that's why it's easy. Er. I'm not saying it's easy, it's easier. Because they just don't have as much to lose. But no matter what Ezekiel had for possessions or what Ezekiel had for position or what Ezekiel had, he still was going to lose the apple of his eye. And that is a tragedy. But he didn't lose his call. 
didn't. If anything, it strengthened that call. And it strengthened what God was saying through him and what God was doing through him. It spoke a message to a people that he's prophesying to. It spoke a message to a people that were being not even affected by the words that he was bringing forth. But maybe this spoke to some. Maybe this was something that actually dug into the hard armor of somebody so that they could receive something in their life. I don't know. I can't answer that. But maybe it did. Maybe. So I want to encourage you that as a people, we need to consider what God says here and what He does. Because that's what He told us to do. He didn't say, oh, you can ignore this part because this is only for Ezekiel. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to consider what I'm saying and what I'm doing in this circumstance. But I want you to consider it as how this applies to you. What does this say to you? What does this say to your life? What does this say to your commitment? What does this say to to what you're willing to step through and to bear? What are you willing to obey? Do you have to have it served up with an explanation? Or can you obey? I don't know. I'm not even judging either one. I'm just asking. Just asking. I'll tell you right now, if God came to me and said what He said to Ezekiel, that would freak me out. I mean, seriously, freak me out. And what would I do? I don't know. I know what I hope I'd do, but I don't have any idea what I would do. Not really. I know what I've done in other situations. And so we each have to consider what God's saying to us. I'd like you to pray with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, I, I just want to say thanks that you love us and we're not calling in to question anything about that. You love us, you care for us, you want the best for us. You're a God who calls. You're a God who empowers. You're a God who sends. I ask you that we would consider what you said and what you did in this passage with Ezekiel, that we consider it. And I pray, God, that we'd have ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray that you'd raise up a people who are obedient. I pray you'd raise up a people that don't have to be spoon-fed your instruction. Raise up a people that will hear your voice and respond and do what you tell us to do. Raise up a people who are willing to lay down whatever our opinion is or lay down whatever our our thoughts are on it and to just move ahead 
in what you're telling us, what you're instructing us, and what you're leading us into. God, I thank you that you're bigger than our fears. I thank you that you're bigger than our emotional responses. I thank that you're just bigger than what the world expects. You're bigger than what society wants. You're bigger than what our families expect. You're just bigger. You're bigger. And I pray we'd respond accordingly. For Lord, I pray we'd never be a people numb to what's going on around us. We'd never be so self-consumed that we couldn't see, feel, and respond to the things that are happening all around us. But I ask you, God, that we would live in the present, in the now, And we respond to you in that context. So shake us out of our doldrums. Shake us out of our self-consumption. Shake us out of our fears. Shake us out of the lies that the devil tries to speak to us that we can never do this or we can never be that. Because God, all I want to say is right now that you're bigger, you're better, and you're greater than all of those things. So I ask you, God, that we would respond to you. And I pray for people here now that would live in a simplicity before you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give you thanks tonight. Ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming out. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah. 